Home can be a pretty vague concept. It could mean almost anything, from the place you grew up to a hug from your significant other. But when you really think about it, home is just where you can be comfortable being yourself. I have these, like, four best friends at home, and, like, it it's more of, like, people as, like, mm. a place and, like, a home sort of thing. But, like, when I'm with them, I just feel, like, the most, like, comfortable and accepted. I'm Taylor Haggerty, and you're listening to American Student Radio. From Bloom... <laughs> from... Uh, again, live... Li- what is it? <clears throat> oh, ready? Should I do it again? From Indiana University in Bloomington. From Indiana University in Bloomington. This is... This is... This is American Student Radio. Real chill. Real chill. Aliens. Conspiracy. Journalism. And lesbians. What does home mean to you? The producers here at ASR have made it our mission to find out. This episode of the podcast is dedicated to the theme of home, whether you're leaving it behind for finding something new or coming back to it after some time away. Our stories will include a missing puppy, a haunted house, homecomings and home goings, and finally, families, as we explore just what constitutes a home. For some of us, home isn't complete without our pets. Just over a year ago, Trampus Walden lost his dog, an eight-year-old beagle mix named Levi. From posting hundreds of flyers to speaking with psychics, Trampus Walden has tried it all to find his missing friend. Even after so long, he's refusing to give up, because home isn't right for him without Levi. Sadie! Get in here, girl! Sadie! Good girl. That's me, Emily Miles, calling for my dog, Sadie, at 5.30 in the morning. I let her out and put food in her bowl for years before moving to Bloomington for school, and coming home for spring break threw me back into the same routine. I can't imagine home without her. For Trampus Walden, mornings without his dog have become the new routine, but that doesn't mean he doesn't think about Levi every day. Yeah, every, every day. I mean, I don't ever forget him. Yeah. Uh, first thing I do in the mornings now is I go, I go to work, I open up, I open up computer or whatever, and I look at my emails to see if anyone has, you know, see if I've got anything from anyone. Uh, then I do a, like I'll do a Craigslist search, um, and I'll do it, look at the newspapers, and then mm-hmm. I start work. So that's what I do every day. It all started about 15 months ago when Walden came home from work. I came home from work, and that day for some reason, just he's kind of like the mascot at the golf course I work at. But he didn't, it was cold, December 19th, uh, it was 2014. He, he didn't go to work with me that day. So anyway, afterwards, we decided to go take a walk with our uh, other dog, Allie, at, uh, I can't remember what it's called right now, Litter Springs Nature Park. It's an old reservoir for the town. And uh, so we were just walking, and we were probably down a trail maybe 100 yards. And uh, he got on the scent of something, which he normally would do. But he would stay within, he would stop. I mean, he would stop chasing the scent or whatever when he got really far, he couldn't see us. Um, he always stayed within eyesight. Um, and that day, for some reason, he did not. I did hear him a lot barking a little in the distance, but I don't think it was very far off. And that was it. I haven't seen him since. Well, I didn't leave the park that night 
until about 11.30 that night. Um, I called my wife and our neighbors was out. A couple of them, my, my dad came out, my brother. Uh, we s- just searched the park. Now, I primarily stayed at the park entrance and searched that area, um, you know, in case someone, in case someone had found him. Um, anyway, and we decided that about 11.30 that it was really pre- pretty cold and he needed to find shelter if he were out there so that I, we should stop calling for him and, and looking for him. So I got up the next morning, and that was a, it was a Friday when he, when he became missing. Got up the next morning, and, and right away at daylight started searching the park area, uh, neighbors' houses around the park area. Um, I took a couple weeks off vacation immediately and started searching, uh, you know, day and night. Um, just anyone I could get the search, I did that. We, uh, I put ads in the newspaper, had flyers out, posted in different places. We put, we put flyers in paper boxes, uh, uh, just did a lot of driving, a lot of walking. You know, the first couple of weeks, that's what we did. Even on Christmas, less than a week after Levi went missing, that's what Walden did. Like during Christmas time, I was my son came over and his wife, and I was I was not there. I mean, I was not mentally there. And I was afterwards. I was I left that night after I had spent a couple hours with him. I went searching for Levi, and they were just you know pretty upset about that and thought I shouldn't. Could you talk a little bit about your experience with how the people you know have reacted um, to your sort of tireless search? Yeah, it seems like the people that the people that I know the most seem to not understand it. They say it's just a dog. You can get another dog. Or the people I don't know, I get emails and phone calls and texts from people occasionally that that seem to understand. They're very sympathetic. Uh, uh, just just really understanding. And I, I do appreciate that. At least makes me feel a little better that there's somebody else out there that cares for their animals and understands. But it really bothers me that the people, some of the people I know do not, do, you know, don't understand and kind of look at me almost like I'm a freak. And what has propelled you to, to not stop looking? Because I love this dog. He's my son. He's just like, I mean, he's a dog, but he's my child. And, you know, um, I just care about him. And Walden's search went beyond his own intuition when he began reaching out to people with psychic abilities. Yeah, I talked to three different, I don't think they called themselves psychics, but that kind of that kind of person. <laughs> One lady claimed her background is in animal recovery um she said levi's alive he is northeast of the park entrance somewhere up to two and a half miles out but she said she was he was probably at about a mile and a half stayed in a house a two-story farmhouse with two kids a boy and a girl somewhere around 10 years old and the man drove some kind of a white vehicle that's about all she could tell me, but that was enough that we drove and searched and, you know, I mean, their house, oh, there was a silo and a barn at this location as well. So every house had a silo and a barn or, you know, I was either sending sending information to knock on their door, someone else would knock on their door, or, you know, we would just watch it and watch it and watch it if we couldn't get hold of anyone. 
and I still actually just last week I found another house that I didn't know about that was kind of northeast, kind of stretching it, but it was northeast, so I checked on that. Um, then there was another lady that, uh, matter of fact, she didn't really want to do it. She said, this is not something I generally do, uh, but, I, you know, I somehow convinced her to do it. And without any information other than his name's Levi and he's missing. And this is kind of what got me is she said he died. She said he was killed by a hunter on accident at the park, but she doesn't know where he is. I kind of felt like possibly that's what could have happened to him anyway. What do you hope for um, as, a, as a sort of result of your searching? Well, I mean, I hope to bring him home. hope he'll come home. But my, my biggest fear is not that he died. I mean, if he died, he died having fun. You know, I try to give him a good life. Um, we're just kind of, I don't know, inseparable, I guess. Uh, we went everywhere together. Most usually if he couldn't go, I didn't go. There are a few stores in town that will allow dogs, so I would go there specifically because he could go inside. Right. We would go jogging together, bicycle riding trails. He loved to go just, you know, anywhere like that where we could run. And Walden even attached a box to the side of his motorcycle so that Levi could enjoy the open road. Um, do you still ride your motorcycle? Uh, I ride it, but not very often. I don't know. It just doesn't feel... Can't describe it right now, yeah. uh, but it just does, just feels wrong. But I'm worried that someone found him and that he's somewhere not happy or not being taken care of. I mean, that's what I really worry about. I want to find him one way or another. I mean, if someone else has him, you know, unless he wants to stay with him and it's a better situation than it was with, you know, with us, then he's coming home. And if he died, then you know, I I will move on. But but you know, I have to know something one way or another. If you know anything, one way or another, please do not hesitate to contact me at elmiles at iu.edu or Walden at 812-325-5264. This is Emily Miles with American Student Radio. This week was spring break for the students here at Indiana University. While some students were begging their parents for the chance to go to exciting and unfamiliar places like Paris, Korea, or Cancun, ASR producer Nisa Cruz asked her family if she could instead make the trip back home, all the way down in Austin, Texas. Here's Nissa with the story. For spring break, I went home to Austin, Texas. Well, technically home for me is a smaller suburb called Pflugerville that is about a thousand mile drive from Bloomington, Indiana, where I go to college. I chose IU for its amazing journalism and international studies programs, but the distance was no accident. When I applied to colleges, I sent applications to four out-of-state schools and only one in Texas. It was pretty obvious my goal was to get away from home. Since middle school, I had an urge to leave, spurred by the angst felt by all 13-year-olds combined with a sense of ambition to achieve something. I'm a huge Disney movie fan, and in the eighth grade, I became obsessed with Belle Reprise from Beauty and the Beast. I have the words painted on my wall at home, and the feeling communicated in the opening lines explains my college choice. I want adventure in the great wide somewhere. I want it more now, Indiana isn't exactly the most adventurous, exciting place in the world, but 
It was entirely new to me. I went away from the house I lived in my entire life and away from everyone I knew. When I started at IU, I knew only one person. And thus far, seven months into school, we still haven't managed to meet up, if that's any indication of how close we are. So, of course, that is what I've missed the most since August. My old friends, some of whom I've known since middle school, elementary school, or even earlier. There's a familiarity that comes from knowing someone so long. That intimate knowledge of one another accumulated while growing up is not easily matched. So, when it came time to make spring break plans, I asked if I could go home. As much as it would shock a 13-year-old me to hear, I wanted to go back to Pflugerville. And although I love breakfast tacos and barbecue and Whataburger and any kind of Tex-Mex, what I love most about going back to Texas is seeing all the people I love. There's my old dance friends and my theater castmates, my sixth grade math buddy and newspaper cohorts, and the chick I talked to in Algebra 2 because she was wearing a Harry Potter shirt. The kind of familiarity and comfort I have with these people is something I still haven't quite replicated. Yet during the week I was home, conversations with some people were a little harder than in the past. Of course, there was reminiscing with my friends about funny old memories and conversations about politics and weird local happenings, but I talked about college and my college friends and adventures mostly. I realized my life is in Bloomington now. My Pflugerville friends are important to me, but they're not constants in my life anymore, and they really won't be ever again. It's a hard pill to swallow since I really do love them so much, but I think that maybe that's just the nature of adult friendships, seeing each other sporadically, but still loving each other fiercely. While packing my bags Friday for the trip back to Bloomington, I wasn't feeling unhappy to leave Pflugerville like I had when I went back to school after winter break. It felt right. So right, in fact, that in the first draft of the story, instead of saying I was packing my bag for the trip back to Bloomington, I actually wrote I was packing my bags for the trip home. For American Student Radio in Austin, en route to Bloomington, I'm Nissa Cruz. Because we're focusing on home this week, I thought it made sense to do a story from my own hometown of Wald Lake, Michigan, one of many suburbs outside Detroit. A childhood friend of mine just started her freshman year of college. Her name is Megan, and, like me, she decided to go out of state for her education. While I'm here at Indiana University, she's having her own adventures up at Purdue. Unlike Nissa in our last piece, though, she hasn't started calling her new school home just yet. Super close. So we were talking about where you think home is and how a lot of people think Purdue is home, but you can't quite consider it home. Well, I have a very hard time calling it home when, like, my home is here. Like, you, when you go to school and you're, like, coming home for the summer, you're going home for this, I, I don't know. It just seems really, like, forced and cliche, like, in class or something. I'll, like, just naturally be like, oh, I'm going home, you know, like, back mm-hmm. to my dorm. But I don't, like, make it a point to be like, oh, like, I'm at home, like, that kind of thing. Just because mm-hmm. I feel like it's so forced and I, I don't want to force it you know <laughs> you know what i'm saying like it, it's not it's not necessarily that i don't consider it home it's just that i don't like labeling it that way because mm-hmm. my home is here in wild lake with my family so like the family is a big part of home for you yeah i think so i mean i think that's that way for everyone because that's where you're most comfortable and home is like a place where you feel like you can be your like best self so why did you choose to go so far away from home for school then 
Well, I chose to go to Purdue because of meteorology, um, and I got a lot of scholarship money, too. And it's not that I'm not comfortable there. It's just that it's uh, it's a different experience, and there's, like, different people that I haven't known for as long. And, like, I'm excited. I like to get out and explore and, like, meet new people and stuff. But, um, yeah, I, I went there specifically for their atmospheric science program. While you're there, do you get homesick at all? Um, not really. I mean, I've thought about, like, oh, I'd rather be at home right now, like, with my dog and my family, but I wouldn't consider that, like, homesick, because when I was little, I used to get really homesick, and I would, like, cry, and I would get, like, headaches and stomach aches, and I'd want to come home, but I never actually experienced it there, but, like, I've there's been times when I've wanted to come home and just be, like, in the comfort of my own home, laying on my couch, like, watching TV, because <laughs> you can't really do that at school, but it's school, so it's, like, your purpose there is to be school so of course I'm gonna want to come home and do nothing (laughs) and be with my family and that kind of thing but you really can't do that it's kind of far away for you it sure is (laughs) but I usually get over it like that'll be like an instance but then I'll go and be with my friends or like find something else to do and then I'll just be like wow like I'm happy that I'm here uh when I got to Purdue they well we have like our freshman orientation program and it just helped me find a lot of people that I got along with and it was a lot easier to make friends than I thought it would be because everybody's kind of in the same position as you. Do you feel like you're maybe like a different person? Um I, yeah I definitely feel like I'm a different person. Uh I mean my parents gave me a lot of freedom especially senior year in high school. Um I could pre- I didn't really have a curfew or a lot of rules or anything um but just being away from my family and being away from people that know me super well. I think that it's like it's hard not to be a completely different person or not completely different person, but um just like change a little cuz you are pretty much on your own. You have to deal with your own battles. I think I've just matured a lot. How do you think you've matured? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I'm better at like advocating for myself. Um And doing things that normally my parents would do, like when I'm sick or something, my mom would always make my appointments for me, and I had to make them (laughs) for myself, and it was terrible. Um, And just those kind of things, like you don't have the, your parents there to do the things that they normally would. Not that they're hard things, but it's just, I don't know, you don't have people to do the things that you don't want to do for you anymore. You have to do everything yourself. So that's how I think I've matured, just doing more things for myself, being more independent. And I've always been independent, but, like, (laughs) no, I really have, but um, it's just, like, a different sense of independence. So it's less like you're choosing to be independent and more like you have to be independent. (laughs) Yeah, I'd say that. I mean, it's easy to, like, fall into the trap of just letting your parents do things for you. Like, something's bound to happen when you're at school that you have to figure out for yourself. Have you sort of wished that you'd gone somewhere closer to home? Like, has there ever been a time where you're like, oh, I wish I hadn't gone five hours away for school? The only time I ever think of that, or I don't ever think that I wish that I went, like, closer to home. It's just that I wish some of my friends would have come to Purdue. (laughs) That's honestly what I think, because I'm so happy that I went far away, because I really think it's helped me become more independent, and I didn't get stuck in a group of friends where like that I'd been with through all of high school but I still wish that I had like some of my close friends with me because like they know you really well and so they keep you grounded and that sort of thing it's never a question of like I wish I went 
somewhere closer. It's just that I wish, like, some of the people that were closer to me, like, came personally with came with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think maybe Purdue could be home for you one day? Yeah, I mean, it, I, I guess if I lived in, like, an apartment or something, then maybe I'd be like, oh, this is home. But as of now, like, I'm coming home for, or exactly, I'm coming home for the summer. I'm coming home for spring break. I'm coming home for winter break. And I guess there's, like, the whole thing, like, oh, can you have two homes? But, I mean, right now, the situation, like, I'm living in a dorm with a ton of other people. It feels more like like a summer camp, almost, <laughs> than, like, home, you know? Like, you live there for a year, and then you're out, and then someone else lives there, and then they're, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, there's the freedom that you get of going away to school, and that's, like, you can stay out as late as you want, you can, you don't have your parents telling you what to do, and that kind of thing, but I think at home, you have the freedom to kind of just, like, be yourself, like, completely. Not, Not that I'm a different person that much, like, my morals are the same and everything. Why do you think it was so weird for you the first time you came home? Just because, like, like I said, I hadn't been home in a long time, like two months, and I come home to the, like, you expect everything to kind of be how you left it. Like, you you don't really, re- like, when I came home, our Kentucky Fried Chicken was gone. They had this closed it down. <laughs> Um, like, the sidewalk by our school was finished, all this stuff, and you just kind of, like, expect everything to be the same, and, I mean, people aren't really different, but you're different, and a lot of things around you are different, and it's just weird, because you, you don't feel like you've been gone for that long, you know, so when you come home, you expect, like, this really big sense of familiarity, that's a word, (laughs) and, um, I mean, you get it to an extent, but then there's things that have changed that you're just like, oh, I don't know about this. This is weird, you know, because you've been living here for your whole life. So where do you see yourself going from here? Like, are you do you think you could ever come back and live here in Wald Lake or do you think you're going to go somewhere else after you graduate? I don't think I'm I think I could come back to Wald Lake because the people here are very, um, like, distinct in personality. Like, I couldn't live in Indiana because the people are too nice. (laughs) And they're too, like, friendly. And I don't like it. (laughs) It's fine. But, um, yeah, I mean, I could come back here and live, I think. I like, I like the area. I probably wouldn't live, like, next door to my parents or anything. (laughs) So you're, like, the babies have left home now. Like, your parents, all their kids are gone. (laughs) We sure are. (laughs) (laughs) Was that hard for you to leave and know that, like, all of their kids were going to be far away. It wasn't that hard when I left because my brother and sister were still home. Well, I was a little worried that they would be bored <laughs> and that they would have nothing to do. Um, but I don't know. I wouldn't. It, it was a lot less hard than I thought it would be because I don't know. They talked about how happy they were going to be and how excited they were to do all their fun activities without us. And I was like, OK, like, they'll be fine. But <laughs> I was I was a little worried that they would be they would go crazy from boredom and that they would become old, which they kind of have, but it's fine. <laughs> I also got the opportunity to ask Megan's mom what was different about home now that all three of her children had left for college. I was talking to Megan about this earlier and she's the baby of the family and she's finally left home. Uh was that really hard for you? 
Yes, it was, but I also had two babies that left home because yes, Megan has a twin. So I went from having one away to having all my children away, and it, it was an adjustment period. Yeah. <laughs> and what was the hardest part about your children leaving home? Well, they had been involved in a lot of activities, and we went from, like, all these activities that we were involved <laughs> with and being out with other people to going down to, okay, now what do we do with our time? And dinner conversations got very boring, too. <laughs> Our first dinner conversation after the kids left, after they were all gone, we're sitting at the table, and my husband says, hmm, the food tastes good, doesn't it? <laughs> and then there was quiet for the next five minutes, and I sat there thinking, oh, is this all we're ever going to talk about from now on is how the food is? <laughs> have the dinner conversations gotten better since then? Yes, they have. <laughs> so does it, feel, does it feel a little bit less like home when the kids are gone? Does it feel different around here? Yes, it does feel a little different. I mean, we've had them for 18 years, and it's very it's a very it's a big change when all your children are gone out of the house because mm-hmm. there just isn't as much going on. Like I said, like dinner conversations. But the good thing is, I always have the washer when I need it. <laughs> yeah. So, what's it like when they come home now? Is that is it weird to adjust to having them back around? No, I've enjoyed having them come home. It's been fun having them come home. I think they find it a little odd, especially for a break, when they're each home on a separate break Mm -hmm. and they're the only one here, so they're not used to being the only child. So then, you know, they get asked all the questions and they're our form of entertainment for that week. (laughs) You know, I'm kind of, you know, wondering what the summer will bring when all three of them are back under the same roof, if that's going to mean that they're going to get, you know, are they going to get along better because they've been away for so long or are we going to go right back to the sibling rivalry and all the things that they do that annoy each other. In case you were wondering, Megan's mom did cry when she dropped off the last of her kids at college this year. The whole family is really close. Megan even made the long trip home a couple weeks ago just to surprise her mother on her birthday. Thank you for listening to American Student Radio. We broadcast from WIOX 99.1 FM every Sunday at noon. In this episode, we've seen a lot of examples of what home could be. We asked some of our producers about when they feel most at home. For some of them, it existed in the smaller, everyday moments. I feel the most at home when I have a cup of coffee with me and a book to read and nothing else to do for the rest of the day. That is when I feel the most at home. I feel most at home when I visit my house in Carmel and I get in my bed and my dog Penny the moment she jumps up on the bed next to me is the moment I feel most at home. For others, home means the people they were with. I know I'm at home at my mom's uh, when she like walks in uh, from work and I'm always on the couch and so I'll hear the door open and she'll say I'm home, like, like kind of obnoxiously. I feel most at home. I've lived in a bunch of different places my whole life, but I feel I'm most at home when I'm with my mom and my grandma and my sister because they've been the only people that have been to all those different places with me. I have these like four best friends at home. It's more of like people as like a place and like a home sort of thing. But like when I'm with them, I just feel like the most like comfortable and accepted. As you'll hear, our producer Emily had a very specific place in mind. I feel most at home in my car. I actually feel like it's my sanctuary. His name is Duke Marco, and like I slept there last night. <laughs> and I, I don't know. It's um, I mean I'm I'm in this like safe place, but I can go anywhere. 
Follow us on Twitter at ASR Voice and on Facebook at facebook.com slash American Student Radio. And visit our website at americanstudentradio.org. Now, back to the show. Don Gyra has been painting almost his whole life. An Indiana University graduate, he went on to work on art for movies such as The Devil Wears Prada. He lived in New York for a few years before moving back to Bloomington, where he could be close to his wife's family and revisit the school where he got his degree in art. Laura Schulte has the story. This is a sunset in the snow. Artist Don Gyra shows me around his Bloomington home. With really vibrant colors. And the thing of it is... It's a very emotional painting. He grew up in New York, but retired in Bloomington to be near his wife's family, and to return to the campus where he attended art school. Paint has an emotional value, and um, in my case... His love of the art started very early on in life. When people would say, what do you want as a gift? I'd say most often either art books or oil paint or brushes. It quickly became Don's favorite activity. And from being a young boy all the way up until college, Don's focus didn't falter. And that's what led the New Yorker to start art school in Indiana. After two years of intensive study at Indiana University, Don packed up and headed back to New York, following the demand for fine art and a saying that his father had given him. His father was also a scenic painter. Oh, he used to say that as a designer, the greatest compliment you could have is to have somebody tell you, wow, these renderings are so beautiful, you should just be a fine artist. But when, you know... The rubber met the road. Ultimately, I thought, you know, I'd, I'd like some security. I don't want to kind of be terrified all the time about selling paintings. So after a recommendation from his neighbor, Don got to work on scenic art. And I did these huge, very realistic paintings. And he used to come down and he goes, you know, you should be a scenic artist. You, you could have a good income and, a, you know, in, insurance and a pension and, you know, a whole life. So instead of painting large works of fine art, he started making large scenic portraits that helped make movies, commercials, and plays come to life. You're just, uh, the scenic artists in the movies are constantly making things work visually. In Broadway and opera, you're painting giant backdrops, you're painting the floor, the deck. Uh, Sometimes you're painting props or aging props. Don and his wife lived in New York City and then in the suburbs, but eventually things changed. And the scenic art world wasn't happening for me anymore, and the town I was living in had changed a lot and wasn't, nothing was anything, I was just living in memories because none of what I really liked existed anymore. He said that even his favorite drinks were getting expensive. Two dollars became seven or eight. The places that Don loved were starting to disappear, and as a third-generation motorcycle rider, Don decided it was time to move somewhere with more open space and less expensive living. He says Bloomington has changed a lot, too. But still, there's still the open fields, and you can get on a motorcycle and go for a really nice ride here without having to ever stop at a traffic light. Motorcycle rides haven't been the only thing taking up Don's time, though. Since settling in Bloomington, he's gone back to fine art. At his home studio, he blasts classic rock and paints what he sees. Sometimes really loud music can kind of help your focus. Now I'm back to just doing pure fine art, which is where I started. Well, being back in Bloomington is a mixed bag for me. I can't get any real work in what I do. I mean, I get sporadic faux finish work. I just did something in the Wiley House, and I occasionally get something from backdrops for the, you know, for the opera. That's bad because it's it's hard to earn any money here. 
You know, it's like making lemonade out of lemons. Not that this place is a lemon by any means. It's just nothing's perfect, so you do your best and you find your way. In Bloomington, I'm Laura Schulte. If you're a student living on or near campus, chances are you found a second home in Bloomington, Indiana. But what would you do if someone else who had once called your house a home refused to leave? Senior Elizabeth Pappas tells her story of living in her Bloomington home with all of its residents, but especially the dead one. Produced by Morgan Burris. Definitely convinced I had seen a ghost. Oh, when I was little, I used to think that um, our house was haunted by the ghost of Abraham Lincoln, which is very implausible. I mean... (laughs) Yeah, so the first time we saw the ghost, I wasn't there. Um, It was a bunch of my roommates and friends were downstairs um, sitting in the kitchen doing homework, and there was a rocking chair on the floor of the living room, which you could see through the opening from the kitchen. Um... And as they were all sitting there, it just started, it fell backwards and then started rocking really fast and then stopped. Um, So they were all really freaked out about that. Um, Other than that, there was the time that um, Connie lost her phone and was looking all over the couch for her phone and couldn't find it. And then she turned around and her phone was there. That one I'm a little less (laughs) certain of. um, But the chair seemed pretty solid because it was, I mean, it's... It wasn't really near the vent, and it fell backwards instead of being pushed, like, forwards as if air from the vent had pushed it. Um, so that one I'm pretty confident about. Although our house... All right, so I was in bed, um, and my bed is sort of set back in a little corner of my room, so you can't see the door to the kitchen from my bed unless you sit up. And I was asleep, um, and I re- pretty regularly get sleep paralysis, um, but it always follows a very specific pattern, so I never see anything, and I can't move, obviously, can't open my eyes, and can't breathe, um, which I say that because I this was clearly not sleep paralysis. Um, so I was in bed, and I was having a dream where... Like, everyone was laughing at me, and I couldn't figure out why. Just, like, your kind of normal stress dream. And then as she was laughing at me in my dream, my roommate Shraddha chokes on something and falls to the floor and dies, and everyone keeps laughing. <laughs> um, so it was, like, not not the greatest um, sleep I've ever had. So then I wake up from that, and there is a guy just walking into my room through the kitchen door. And I sit up immediately, um, like, fumble for the lights and just start screaming at the top of my lungs, who are you, what are you doing here, like, get out of my house. Because my uh, my roommates, they never lock the doors. And we live, you know, not that far from the bars, um, so I just assumed, like, a drunk person had wandered into our house. So it was this guy, like, a youngish-looking guy with shoulder-length blonde hair, like, kind of hunched over, um, just slowly walking into my room. And I just start screaming, like, and he, like, looks really confused and, like, looks around as if he's just noticed me and then um, starts backing out, backing out of the room. But he's, like, suddenly now is where I realize he's maybe not a drunk person because he shifted over from the door a little bit as he was walking in and he gets, like, stuck in the wall next to the door as he leaves. Um, and then he's gone and I get the light on and there's no one there. And I was still, like, not certain about the wall thing. I still thought that maybe, like, a guy was just wandering in my house. So I get up to um, 
to go see if he's still there and like get him out of my house and Shraddha is standing like in the dark kitchen like looking around and I was like oh Shraddha like thank god it's you what do you want (laughs) and she was like what do you mean what do I want I was like you know why did you just come in my room and she's like I didn't come in your room The thing is, though, I mean, it didn't seem like a malicious ghost. I mean, as soon as I started yelling, he's like looked around confused and left. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had this, he was like kind of tall but hunched over. Like, descriptions of ghosts would be like Tim Priller, from, who's on the basketball team, but with like long, like shoulder length hair, which is kind of like a, like a shaggy from Scooby Doo type vibe, like a very non threatening ghost. Um, when you, when you die, do you think you're going to come back as a ghost? I mean, not unless something like really dramatic happens. You know, I don't, I don't think I would really have anyone to haunt at this point. You know, like, okay. I guess it really depends on what your other option is. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's going to be a game time decision. Sometimes home can change, even well after you've graduated from college and made a family of your own. Christy Ross had to move in with her mother after being diagnosed with MS. Her daughter Casey talks about how their home has changed, along with Christy's health. Um, well, the level looks fine. All right, I'm going to show you what I got to do. Okay, what do you have to do? That's my mother, Christy Ross. She's just now getting out of bed after a long night's sleep. That's how close I have to get. Are you ready? However, she's not exactly used to being woken up with a microphone shoved in her face. You have to get that close? Mm-hmm. Why? Don't they make technology better than this? <laughs> because, I don't know, I don't like the technology. <laughs> it didn't take that long to get her warmed up, though. How long does it normally take you to wake up? 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah, so you just can't like get out of bed and go? No way. Why not? Because, like, my hips and my joints and my body hurts or I have to take my medicine to get up to be able to really function and move well. My 45-year-old mom recently claimed legal disability from the state. For the past three years, she's been in and out of surgeries to deal with her many conditions. I get the test results back. First, she had a tumor. tumor, A totally lytic cell tumor. Which was located in her ovaries. Then, the cancer had spread. They had come back and said that my appendix had a different form of cancer. So she had two different kinds of cancer. And after that... They went in and they did a radical hysterectomy. Which which included all of her lymph nodes. They they found that I had some polymorphic syndrome um, as well as um, the BRCA2, which... Which is the gene that houses breast cancer. But wait, there's more. In April April of that year, I went through a cervical spinal fusion with a transplant and an allograft. I'm not even going to try and tell you what that means. You get the picture. Things are not going very well. I've got to take my pill. Now we're in the kitchen hanging out with my mom and grandma. However, the conversation has to stop for a moment because my mom has to take her medicine. Christy's legally disabled, but she doesn't look it. She walks upright 
talks perfectly fine and seems completely normal. Sometimes, she says, that's what makes living with a disability even more difficult. People see me pull up in a handicapped parking spot, and some days I look great. Some days I look good for 46, and I'm walking okay, and, you know, because, but they don't know that I've had 18 hours of sleep the night before. Oh. She might not have any cookies to take back if we keep invading them. I know, no kidding. Christy has been going through this process for quite some time. However, she hasn't been alone. Going to doctor's appointments, taking care of her sometimes, most of the time. And that's my grandma, Sherilyn Ross. Going to the hospital, doing surgeries. I was just involved in all of it. Recently, due to her depreciating condition, Christy had to make the decision on whether or not to move back home permanently. Before, she was living with my sister and I. However, we went away to college, which left my single mother home alone 24-7. Um, walking stairs. It's very difficult now for me to walk up and down stairs. Um, driving. It just didn't feel safe. I'm on a lot of medication, and I would have to go get my medication. Um... So those two were the biggest challenges. I would trip. I wouldn't necessarily fall, but I would trip. When you're living alone by yourself and you're doing those things, you don't have anybody to come home to to d- discuss it with, but also you, you're you afraid something's going to happen and nobody's going to be there to like find you after you've fallen. Or you know, I was afraid I was going to fall and break something else or something, so... In the end, Christy chooses to move in with my grandma. She had some fears about losing her independence, but in the end, the decision wasn't that hard at all. We are like freaking frack. We get lost together. But hey, at least we... We're happy. I know, exactly. It's awful. Can you explain more? Well, you never want to see your children suffer. And she's had a lot of painful times. And I don't know how much pain she has on a daily basis because she's had it for so long that we don't, unless she's having a really bad day, we don't really talk about the level of pain. Uh, She's on lots of pain medications. So, yeah, it's hard to see your child go downhill. Chrissy doesn't fear losing her independence anymore. She's able to go and hang out with her friends and family just like anybody else could. She just has to come home to a house that she shares with her mother. I think I've gained... Already, I think I've gained something that's more than the independence. Um, but like I said, my mother's amazing. She lets me do, she might not agree with all of my decisions or, you know, so on and so forth. But, you know, just for instance, a couple weekends ago, I went, I stayed with my girlfriend. She lets me come and go as I please, as if this is my own home and I can do basically what I want. Christy and Sherilyn keep pushing forward despite the hardships they face. And believe me, there are many of them. There's one thing that gets them through it, though. Laughter. I have to stay strong. Because somebody has to be strong. 
in order to for her to survive what do you think about that oh that makes me sad why because you never want your mom to like think like when you get older and you grow up and you've had kids and been divorced and blah 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 you've done all those silly things um yeah you want to be strong for your parents so it kind of changes roles you want to be strong for your parents you don't want your parents to see you weak you don't want your parents to see like anything negative in your life because you want your parents to I'm sorry she's having a hot flash (laughs) (laughs) now you're gonna make me cry and laugh my mom doesn't think that this is the end of the world Being disabled isn't the roadblock that ends her journey. So I've learned a lot about perspective of how to treat people. And it's, you know, given me more of sometimes like even almost a spiritual relationship with myself. Like, you know, I'm going through this. Other people go through stuff. I'm not the only person it's not just me. Woe is me. There's a lot of people in this world who are having a hard time. So it just gives me perspective. No, this, this is my hard time, but other people are having hard times in different ways. So when I see somebody, I'm like, wow, maybe I should open the door for that person. Maybe I should be nice and do one nice thing every day for somebody out there. Cause you don't know what somebody else is going through. In Bloomington, I'm Casey Ross. Is home always just a place? They say home is where the heart is, and for a couple who has been together nearly 63 years, their home is one another. Sarah Panfield brings us the story of her grandparents. Well, this is one of my favorite shirts. I definitely want It looks to. very soft. Yeah, it is. This I've worn. This is my 84-year-old Busha, which is Americanized Polish for grandmother. wear those. I will use that. I will use that. She's sorting through clothes in plastic bins with my mother, planning to donate to a Catholic charity. My grandparents live in a cozy blue home, decorated with crosses, framed photos of loved ones posing at weddings or reunions, a smattering of Mickey Mouse paraphernalia. When you look around this house, what are some of your favorite things? Mm, I don't know. Just being, I, you know, there really is no, really, there's there are pictures of our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren that I treasure very much. As for favorite things, um, there really isn't any, uh, I think just being here with Barney all these years is, is my favorite, you know. Barney is her husband, my Jaja. There are pictures, yeah. I could say, yeah, I like that picture, I like that picture. But there there really isn't anything that I would say I couldn't live without because they are nothing but things. In a few months, my grandparents will move into an assisted living residence near their oldest son. They'll pack up belongings accumulated over their 80 years, toss out others, and head to a new home. My busha said she's scared, that she's always felt scared with each move of her life. Well, it was the same thing when we moved here, back in 1991. Leaving a place that we had lived for 25 years. Leaving a place where our children grew up. I think at 
at this stage of the game, being the age I am, the age we are, uh, it's frightening. There will be family there. I would never move any place where there was no family. I would love to stay here. Uh, I love the area, I love the people, and I love, I love the climate. But we can't take care of this home ourselves. I hadn't been to visit my grandparents in their home in Desert Hot Springs in a decade since I was 10. When I did visit, I wanted to talk to my Busha about leaving home for what will likely be the last move of her lifetime. I don't know what the future holds. I guess this is where I have to really step and think, which we did before, trust in our Lord, and that's all. How should you make a home? She responded, full of love. It has been the guiding principle of her life, informing her even more than her faith. Busha had two suitors who proposed to her, my Jaja and a man named Fritz. Then my Jaja wrote her a love letter. While I was out dating Fritz, Barney wrote this letter for me and was written July 27th, 1952. I'm cry. Dear Mary, this is Sunday evening and I don't have anything to do, so I think I'll answer your letter. I guess I owe you one. I want you to know that I do miss going out with you. In fact, I miss you very much. And I think of you always. My only wish in this life is to make you happy, but I don't want to be selfish about it. As far as I'm concerned, no one contains more truth. No one is more serious, sincere than you are, Mary, and I could be No more truthful and no more sincere than when I say I love you very much. Well, Mary, have fun, stay happy, and don't forget the goal for which you are striving in September. With love, Barney. Her goal was to be a nurse. She was the only one in her family to pursue higher education. The only one, it seemed at the time, with a chance to achieve a future wealth, perhaps marry a doctor or a wealthy man who could provide her with the finer things in life. But she chose to make a life with my Jaja. And uh, I'd I'd made up my mind after I got this letter that I was going to marry him and not Fritz. We did get married on a shoestring. Bought a stove for $5. The only thing new we ever bought was a bedroom set. Bought a refrigerator for 15 bought a table and chairs for $3. It was an apartment, mm-hmm. a flat. They called it flats in those days. The landlord lived upstairs. Barney and I lived downstairs. And uh, it was just a one-bedroom. And when we had Barney, young Barney, uh, his crib was in our room. After that, they moved around for my judge's work from Buffalo, New York, to Iowa, to Illinois, to Michigan City. And now, what do you envision your new home to look like? I don't have the slightest idea. I really don't. It's going to be just a small apartment. The main thing about it is we won't have any responsibilities really in taking care of food, cooking, laundry. Everything will be taken care of. 
And in a way, I guess I will miss doing things. But I think it's the best for both of us. Um, I guess after 63 years, I don't think we could ever be separated. In fact, I'll, both of our wish was when we do go, we want to go together. Is it strange to see all of your kids and grandkids growing up and getting oh. older? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes. What's, what's fascinating and enlightening, really, is to see our children, how they have our children married, have their own little families, their families have families, and now we have a great, great grandchild. Um, it's... It's a good feeling to know that our family will continue. Okay, I want to ask you the, a cliche question, okay? Mm -hmm. In all of your 84 years, you know, what, what advice do you have? <sighs> mm, what advice? We've always said, our motto has always been love one another. And that's been our motto since umpteen years ago. And we've, we've stuck to it. We've had our hard times. We, I won't say we don't argue, we don't fight. I can remember once we had an argument where I went and slept in the living room and he slept in the bedroom. In the middle of the night, both of us had a guilty conscience. We met at the top of the stairs and almost fell down the stairs because <laughs> we hugged and kissed each other and said, I'm sorry. And so the, that, that's been our life. We never go to bed without kissing one another and say, we love you. We love you. Time, you know, like um, this is post Korea. No, this is pre Korea. No, post Korea. Well, I never to, met him till after yeah, he was out of the service. Be post -Korea. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. See, I see. I was wounded on May eighteenth, nineteen fifty-one. My and Busha, Jaja, like my dad, and I all talking that one was, night about my grandparents' meeting and the proposal. Mm -hmm. Following New Year's is when we, we we first met there, right? And Finally. Then, and then uh, it took me all the way till October to ask her to marry me. So now we're going October to... October 13th. actually not that long. Really. In their day. No, it's only no. a year. Not even a year. October 13th. No, it had to be more than a year, huh? Eh? No. Hmm? It was 1952. Yeah. And I graduated in September. We went to Vini and Trudy's wedding and you asked me then to marry you. Yeah. And then in October, you thirteenth, you gave me the ring. Yeah, but I was I, I was afraid to ask her, so she might say no. Because I was crazy about her. For American Student Radio in Bloomington, I'm Sarah Panfil. Thanks to all our producers for this week's episode of American Student Radio. If you'd like to see pictures of Levi the dog, the Ross family, or other stories from this episode, check us out on Facebook or Twitter. From WIUX in Bloomington, I'm Taylor Haggerty. 
Tune in next week at this same time to hear Sarah Panfill and Emily Beck's show exploring what it means to be under the influence. Thanks for listening to American Student Radio. We're produced by students from Indiana University in Bloomington. Follow us on Twitter at ASR Voice and like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash American Student Radio. Our theme music is provided by Lunamatic. Check out Lunamatic's music at www.soundcloud.com slash Lunamatic. That's L-U-N-A-M-A-T-I-C. We'll have new episodes every Sunday on WIUX and streaming on our website at www.americanstudentradio.org. 